welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, where you'll hear advice from experienced safety leaders on how to protect your people and business. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Steve Goldman, the Director of Advanced Business Resiliency at MIT. Yes, that MIT. With over 30 years' experience in crisis management, emergency planning, business resiliency, and crisis communication, Dr. Steve also trains and consults with corporations, universities, nonprofits, and government agencies on how to successfully achieve and sustain resilience. In this episode, he shares some common resiliency pitfalls and how to lead through them. Let's listen in. Hey, Dr. Steve, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, Peter, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us just a little bit about your background and how you found yourself teaching business resilience and crisis management at MIT? <laughs> None of us majored in business resilience. It's not like a college option yet. So uh, mine was through engineering, actually nuclear engineering. I was at a power plant doing startup and someone figured out I could put a subject and a predicate in the right order. So they said, you go downtown and be a nuclear spokesperson. It's like, yeah, right. Peter, I loved it. I got to deal with the news media. I learned how to speak. I learned how to write. I mean, I had to. I was in with the public relations staff. And what I really enjoyed was dealing with the news media because something would happen to one of our plants. I would have to convert that into English that people could understand. So that led to nuclear emergency communications, which led to corporate emergency communications, which led to corporate crisis planning. So it was an unusual path, but here I am. Very good. Well, in your opinion, what do organizations tend to get wrong about crisis communications? Crisis communications, it's a different breed from normal communications, and people need to understand that. What I found was there's three types of crisis communications. One is notifications. Second is information. And the third is messaging. The notifications are just that. We just declared an emergency or there's a flood coming. There's a hurricane on the way, notifying people what to do. Communications just that the hurricane was category four, these amounts of winds, you know, stuff like that. Just straight good information that people need. What a lot of people don't understand is the messaging. And the messaging is what you're saying, but not directly. You have to make sure that it's part of your communication strategy. Uh, again, notifications, information, messaging, all three are important. Well, that's really interesting because that messaging can be verbal or nonverbal, which I don't think a lot of people think about. So let's talk more about that. How do you train people within your organization to not do the wrong thing and send the wrong message, either verbally or nonverbally? Well, first, you have to have a good system behind the spokesperson to get the information, process it, and give it to the spokesperson. The spokesperson needs to be involved with that. And then you just have to do on-camera training. You have to show them to be standing up, open, forthcoming, willing to provide information. And if they don't know something, you just say, I don't know. You don't make something up. I don't know the information, but I will find it for you. And you follow up on your promises. That's the messaging you use. Like, you can trust me. But the only way to do this, spokespeople are not born. They're trained. And, you know, some people may like it. Some people may not. But most executives have to do it. And the only way to do it is practice and practice and practice some more. I do the video and we play it right back. This is, you need to stand taller. That message was not good. That information you gave could have been done better. Let's improve and do it again until I finally understand the concepts. And just because you might be the highest ranking executive in the organization doesn't mean you should necessarily be the spokesperson. Is that a true statement? Oh, yes. I have seen several 
CEOs fail as spokespeople. Again, it's the skill that requires uh, training and expertise and knowledge, and they just don't belong there. The other thing is on, on most events, the media and the public want the CEO, but he may need to run the crisis. And so the CEO needs to either designate someone to run the crisis or he or she has to go up and do it. So again, that whole system needs to be worked out, but not everyone is a spokesperson. And that's where the training comes in. And do you find that the media will accept that if the CEO doesn't actually get up in front of the crowd? Do they understand it? Or do you need to kind of explain that a bit? Like, hey, our CEO is not giving this message. I'm doing it. And it's for the following reasons. That's one of those that it depends. Depends upon the organization. If it's Apple, it needs to be the CEO because he's the face of Apple. If it's General Motors, I may be mispronouncing her name, Mary Barra, during the recent or the ongoing strike, she was a spokesperson for General Motors because she's known. Someone from George's, you know, industries doesn't have to be the CEO. It'd be better off having a trained spokesperson. It depends upon the organization. What about business resiliency? How have you seen organizations succeed or perhaps fail in their resiliency efforts overall? Well, organizations fail is kind of easier to answer first. You do drills and you do exercise and you find things out like one company I was working with in their IT procedure, it said IT will do all the communications. And their procedure called for IT to send a spokesperson to set up a call center to provide a media information to people. And like that kind of came a surprise to the communication staff. We did the drill. All right. And so the communication staff said to me, what should we do? I said, what would you do if this were real? He said, we would take over. I said, okay, let's let IT do this and see how far they get before they fall. They felt royally. So they learned a lot. One other drill in the legal procedure and in the commander's procedure is that lawyers have 48 hours to review anything and to provide an answer. 48 hours. Give me a break. If you can't get stuff out within five minutes, 10 minutes, you're, you're doomed. So again, this is where the organizations have failed. Some succeed. Um, General, I think in the strike, General Motors is doing a great job with what they have. You know, it's a moment. Other companies are just feeling like Whole Foods years ago had a crisis where some of the prices were mispriced. Some of the, some of the articles are mispriced. Lettuce over here was $2. Lettuce over here was $1. The CEOs came out and said, look, we made a mistake. We screwed up. We're sorry. We're going to make sure this never happens again. Here's how. If it does happen again, you get the item for free, and we will report back to you in three months, which they did. So it's a crisis. We're dealing with it. It's over. Lee Iacocca from uh, Chrysler was excellent at that, and he had credibility because that was the way he did business. You know, things have changed a lot just over the last, call it 15, 20 years with the advent of social media, people having phones in their pockets, smartphones that can deliver information to them at any time. So how has crisis resiliency, how has crisis communication changed over the last 15, 20 years? Because now you kind of have to be on all the time and there's 7,000 platforms you have to post your message to, not just wait for the evening news. <laughs> this is true. If I may, I'll go back to the old days where you would plan for seven o'clock in the morning, noontime, and six o'clock in the evening newscasts by the three networks. Again, there were three, maybe four networks when I started. Nowadays, when I do training, it's like, okay, it's noontime. How soon can you get an approved statement out? Even just a holding statement saying, we know we have a crisis, we're on it. And if a company says more than 15 to 30 minutes, they're doomed. 
like you said, with social media, it's not only going to come from outside the organization, that information is going to come from inside the organization. And you can't stop your employees from sending information out about the crisis of the event. That's why you have to be on top of it. So within 10 or 15 minutes, you've got to get a holding statement saying, yes, we have a crisis. We're on it. More information will be available in 30 minutes to an hour and then get on it. And you've got to have a trained social media staff, not a person, a staff, because you've got to monitor, as you said, the 7,000 different outlets. Are they correct? Are they incorrect? Do we need to address it or not? And then how do we get the information back out? Which venue? Twitter now known as X, Facebook, which I'm told is for old people now, but what do I know? <laughs> WhatsApp, all the, all the things that the interesting thing about that is it evolves. If you look at the social networks that were available five and 10 years ago, some no longer exist. They were extremely popular back then. So your staff has to keep up with that. And so they've got to be on top of it, which means your technical people have to be able to provide information to the communication staff right then and there which goes back to when you do drills, exercises, and real events, your communication staff has to be right next to the technical staff. That's the source of their information. They've got to be there. Now, a lot of my friends are in IT. My sister's in IT, and I respect that. But communicators, they are not. So you want your communications staff to do that job. You don't want a PR person to do servers. Similarly, you don't want an IT person to do communications. The only way you can do it. On social media in particular, how do you deal with the trolls out there? You know, in the old days, you would be in front of the reporters. There was a handful of them. They would bark questions at you, and you could kind of control that to a certain extent. But now it's amplified by, you know, a factor of a million. You've got people throwing things out there, just trying to get a rise out of you, asking legitimate questions. Do you engage with them, or do you just make your posts on a regular basis and kind of ignore all that craziness out there? Kind of do both. You make your posts, keep up to date, keep people informed. But I have this philosophy of uh, three-time engagement. So someone says, you're no good, or, you know, this is bad. That's level one. Level two is, no or not, here's what happened, blah, blah, blah. Level three is, oh, yeah, well, you're wrong. And that's it. You don't engage in level four. Otherwise, you're spending all your time on one troll and not everybody else. Yeah, there's only so much you can do. And if you at least make an effort, it shows that you're not ignoring folks. Right, exactly. Well, what are some of the most common crisis management pitfalls for organizations? What should they look out for? My major one that combines crisis management and communications is unintended consequences or ramifications. I did a series of drills for hospital systems. And it turns out we took down this particular system's IT network. All the monitors in the emergency room, all the monitors on the floors also went blank. Wow. Yeah. And IT didn't know that because they never looked at what happens to when the system goes down. They just looked at the system's down. How do we get it back? They never looked at ramifications. And we figured out that some people would be laying in a hospital bed when, when a ransomware event came in, and their monitors would, would flatten out. Mm. Like, did I just die? I mean, what's going on? So they never looked at these ramifications. And so now we've got a system set up where if IT goes down, a notification goes out, ignore what's going on with a monitor. You know, when you check into a hospital, first thing you do is look up the monitor, mm-hmm. which in most hospitals is their IT system. And if the IT system goes down, they're in big trouble. So that, you know, not drilling deep enough is one of the um, concerns. The other one, we did a drill 
and was uh, IT, it was ransomware, the data center went down. So set up the backup data center, that worked fine. The web service went down, go to the backup data center, that worked out fine. So IT did a good job. They, they recovered it within the recovery time objective. And they said, okay, eight o'clock tomorrow morning, you can have all your systems back. I'm like, we're going, okay. So I had actually users come in as part of my drill. I sat down, logged in, they go, wow, okay, this is good. Uh-oh, I can't access the data drive. Well, IT said, what do you mean? Well, I've got the app up, I've got Windows up, I've got the system up. Where's my data? And honest to God, IT said, data? Nobody told us you want the data. We recovered the applications. What more do you want from us? Oh. It's like, are you kidding me? And IT technically did the job they were assigned. They got the apps back, but they did not bring the data back. So what was the point? Their recovery time objective of, I think it was eight hours, was, I think, four or five days once they needed to get back the hard drive. If they have a plan for it. So again, this is why you do drills. This is why you do exercises. These are the major pitfalls is not digging deep enough, looking at the ramifications of what happens when a failure occurs. Yeah, people miss the forest for the trees. That's always a big problem. But when you talk about drilling deeper, I love that concept. How deep do you drill? Do you bring your monkey wrench and throw it in the works and then also <laughs> throw a couple more along with it and stop at about two or three? You could go forever on this. Yeah, it depends upon the scope of the drill, how far you want to go. Again, this hospital, I'm going to go back when they lost their systems. Their plan did say, go to the forms cabinet and take out the forms and fill out the forms. Again, like they used to do in the old days. Mm-hmm. What's a form? <laughs> I'm not making this up. How do we fill out a form? You get a pencil, you take the vitamins. How do we do that? Honest to God, so one of the, one of the re- uh, recommendations of the exercise was, Teach people how to use forms. Younger staff didn't know how. And the older people, like me, oh, yeah, you go to the forms, yeah, do this, do that, there you go. So, again, that's the type of thing where um, you get to drill down to find out what it is. You can keep drilling down forever, but you got to get to a point where this is what we need to recover. You know, do we have enough pencils? Okay, do you want to drill down that far? Sure. You know, whatever it takes to make it work. Well, to help organizations address this, what are some of the things that you recommend in, let's say, perhaps your courses that businesses should focus on in their training exercises? Several things. One is, uh, as I said, crisis communications. It's a skill you have to learn. Being a spokesperson is also a skill you have to learn. I found that crisis leadership on the technical side, that's also a skill people have to learn. The same skills which brought you to be an executive vice president or a CEO or a CISO, whatever. And they're not the same skills you use in a crisis. So I'll joke here about the treachery you use to work your way up the ladder. That doesn't apply in a crisis. You need some leadership skills to lead in a crisis. You, know, you want people to follow. What is leadership? People follow you. You've got to show those skills. It's, yes, not only am I qualified, but I know where we're going. Let's go. And... You have to challenge the executives at all levels. And then one thing I'm working on is I work on a paper on bad decision-making in crises. And think about that. Your CEO gets up there, he does his job, and he makes a bad decision. What do people do? How do they respond? What are the ramifications of a bad decision? And sadly, there's a lot of evidence out there, a lot of case studies I can use. But I just want to show people, if there's a bad decision, you need to stand up to the executive and say, look, However you do it is political, but 
we need to think about this. And the other thing is people need to understand a crisis is never just one crisis. If you have an IT situation, it goes into communications, HR, operations, finance. If you have an oil spill, it's not just oil in the ocean. It's all the ramifications of all the people making their living, dealing with politicians, dealing with just getting recovery teams to the oil spill. So a crisis is never just one crisis. People need to understand it's not just focused on IT. It's everything around it. And again, I go back to this is why you drill down and you drill wide to make sure it's all covered. And as you think about the average executive out there that may never have to deal with this, how much time should they spend each year training for this kind of stuff? Is there some kind of framework that they could follow, like once a quarter, meet on a Saturday morning, spend two hours thinking through these things? What do you suggest? Yeah, I would recommend once a quarter skill drills and things like that. And then uh, I'd love to do twice a year. Some of my companies do do that. But if you could do at least one full-scale exercise a year and training leading up to that, that would work. Uh, a lot of the federal guidance talks about the skill drills and this and that, but it all boils down to one full-scale exercise, internal and external, at least once a year to sharpen all those skills. That would be the minimum. If you can do quarterly drills on like spokesperson training or IT data recovery or the web service, uh, the cloud service went down. Now with those different skills and team drills, perfect. Bring it all together at least once a year. And are you a fan of surprise drills where you just pop in out of the blue? Yes and no. The old days of nuclear, uh, we used to have to do that once a year, once every five years. But you also have to understand, and as many business continuity people have been told, you're not a profit center. Mm. You're a profit drain. And so you have to make sure that that doesn't really impact operations. If you can get away with a team drill doing that, sure. A full-scale drill requires a lot of coordination. You just can't call the police and say, hey, we're having a drill. Can you come? It's, it's, in, it's now. Or, you know, call 911. We're having a drill. Can you send someone over? That's not going to work. But if you talk with the police, and I've done this all over the world, literally, ahead of time, they're more than willing to show up and work with you on workplace violence or EMS for evacuation. And Nothing gets management's attention like people walking around their company with police and guns. Absolutely. Well, as we start to wrap up here, what crisis leadership advice do you have for our listeners? Something you're really passionate about? So again, training, exercising is extremely important. Plans and procedures are nice, but if you only have $1,000 as an example, for a plan or for a drill, use the money for a drill. The plans are nice, but at 3 o'clock in the morning, when most crises seem to start, you don't want people hauling out their iPhone and say, what do I do next? You want to have the muscle memory saying, this is what I do. I remember this to get them started. I don't want them to think early on. I want them to do. And once they get it organized, then they can start thinking about what we need to do to deal with this specific crisis. So where do you recommend folks go to learn more about crisis leadership or business resiliency? Well, if I can be a little immodest, I recommend... At MIT, we have a crisis course, Crisis Management and Business Resiliency. And we bring in experts from all over the industry, literally all over the world, to talk about the various topics. And we present with you a week long of a lot of information, a lot of networking, a couple of fun activities, a reception, a duck boat, and a New England lobster dinner, plus all the knowledge that you can take back with you. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. It's a great course. 
Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. To learn more about Dr. Steve Goldman, his work, and the crisis courses at MIT, check the links in the show notes. Tune in next week for more expert advice to help you protect your business and people. For video highlights from today's episode, just search for Alert Media on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.